Welcome to Oh This World. This is a podcast for people inclined to take action in the age of coronavirus. As Americans and as Texans, we wonder about the choices we are personally making in this new world disorder. And because our state and federal governments have failed to provide the leadership necessary to help all of us make informed decisions, it sometimes seems like we're all on our own. But at a time when it's easy to feel helpless, we're focused on action. I'm Antoinette Perez. And I'm Lucas Schaefer. We're friends, engaged citizens, and progressive activists in Austin, Texas. Our mission is to help Texans and people across the country hold our leaders accountable and build an America that leaves no one behind. So wash your hands, grab a drink, and join us for this world. Okay, hello and welcome to Oh This World. I'm Lucas Schaefer, and today we are going to be talking about broadening our political imagination. What if out of this crisis we were able to fix those big structural problems that are haunting us? What would we do? How would we do it? Antoinette, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? You know, it's just it's another day in this in this oh this world. Um you have some info for us about uh vote by mail, one of our favorite favorite topics. I have an update because uh, there's another piece of whiplash for us in this question of whether or not Texans will be able to vote by mail during the pandemic. Um I recorded a small last weekend because I was furious that our attorney general had gotten the Texas Supreme Court to step in and, you know, just play more games. And it turns out that yesterday, which was Tuesday, May 19th, this case went to a uh, went up in front of a federal judge. And I'm just reading the headline from the Texas Tribune. We will link to this in the show notes. Um, This district judge granted a preliminary injunction that allows all registered voters in Texas to apply to vote by mail during the coronavirus pandemic after finding the state's existing election rules violate the Equal Protection Clause. Hmm. So back and forth, ping pong, here we go. From one court to the next. One court to the next. Ping pong. If you read the whole story, though, it's quite clear that this federal judge sees through all of the antics and all of the games. Sees through it all. And one of my favorite quotes, this is actually from a different different source, but one of my favorite quotes that he said was, citizens should have the option to choose voting by letter carrier versus voting with disease carriers. Ooh, I like that. And thus he has become my favorite person. When you say he sees through, I feel like the Republican judges on the other side of this also see through. They just don't care. I mean, everyone knows what's going on here, right? Um, That's actually, that's a great point. They do see it and they would like voter suppression. So yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Fantastic. Well, you know, Ken Paxton, our attorney general, our indicted for multiple felonies, one felony. I always get confused. I've I've falsely accused him of stealing more than one. One time pen thief, we know. Yes, I've I've made false accusations against him before. So um okay, fantastic. Antoinette, should we jump into our topic for today? I'm so ready to jump. That's the fastest follow-up we've ever done. Love it. Well, you know, that's because I'll tell you why. It's why? because the long-winded one among us, Lucas Schaefer, <laughs> was not doing it. I... No, that's not really true. I had an alternate follow-up that you and I had discussed that is probably maybe going to end up being its own Oh, This yes. Small World episode yes. tomorrow. And yes. had that turned into a follow-up today, I certainly would have taken time for it. We'd be off to the races. Um, okay. So what we're talking about today, Antoinette, is we've had this catastrophe. Uh, We know throughout history when America has faced big catastrophes, it has often resulted in large change, sometimes structural change. We will talk about some of that history in a few minutes. But to kind of ease into this 
discussion um, of what we'd like to see positive come out of this very negative thing. I have a semi-unrelated question, but we're gonna we're gonna weave it in. We're gonna weave it in. Do we have feelings, Antoinette, about who should be the Democratic vice presidential nominee? We have feelings and we have hopes. And possibly they are two different things for me. My feeling is that if if what has been said to the press comes true, which is that Joe Biden selects a female mm-hmm. running mate, mm-hmm. um, my feelings are that that would be wonderful. I feel mm-hmm. very good about that. And there have been many names bandied about. And my hope is that there is one name above all others that will just rise to the surface. Interest. Are we going to reveal or this is just you just know it in your heart? I suppose I could reveal. I well, mean, that's up to you. I, I mean, it, it's probably no revelation. Anybody that has seen me around town wearing my, um, you know, dream big fight hard T-shirt <laughs> would know that Elizabeth Warren is pretty much somebody oh, okay, that okay. I think needs to live uh, live in the White House. So, so yeah. you're, a, you're a Warren for vp or Interest. Okay. I'm a Warren for America person. Yes. I was a yes. Warren for president person. Well, me too. I Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> I I also I have a few there are a few things I'd I am anxious about with her for vice president that have more to do with like sh- maybe we should have someone a little younger mm, well. <laughs> you know i i feel like i have more of of those i mean i obviously really like her um as a politician but um someone who agrees with you and kind of with me i mean i'd, I'd be thrilled if that that happened she might not be yeah hmm. i go back and forth i go back and forth this is like me with bernie on monday show yeah do i um <laughs> So one person who agrees with you about Elizabeth Warren is the New York Times columnist Jamel Bowie, who had a column May 13th, Elizabeth Warren knows what Joe Biden needs in a vice president. And part of what he's saying in this column is that, you know, this is a time for big structural change. Joe Biden is known as more of a, you know, centrist, been in the Senate a long time, even though he does have a progressive policy platform at this point, or more progressive than past uh, Democratic candidates, um, and that Elizabeth Warren would be a good choice for that very reason, that he needs someone guiding him towards that big, bold, progressive, hey, this isn't working, let's move it along, right? right. Um, there was also a New York Times uh, article about one of my favorite potential VP candidate Stacey Abrams recently, and that that piece, which we'll link to, I don't have it in front of me, had kind of mentioned that she had broken um, with etiquettes that had existed in the past, where before you're supposed to say, "Oh, I, you know, I, I would, you know, be very coy. Oh, I'd be." Uh, I'm just focusing know. on the work at hand right now. Right. I, I would just yes, I, I'm, right, I'm focusing right, on being right, the senator right, of my state right. or whatever, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And so this this piece was saying that she'd kind of tossed that out the window and was saying, no, 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 I think I'd be good at this. Let me kind of tell you why, which I think is fantastic. But so two two articles about um, v- vice presidential possibilities, both talking about kind of changes. Obviously, the, the Stacey Abrams thing is a little more like funny i don't that's not a giant structural change suddenly vice presidents can say that they would like to be considered for vice president but um both of those kind of peripherally related to what we're talking about right and then the other sort of document i wanted to bring into this as kind of a little intro to um this talk about big structural change was obama's high school commencement speech that he gave on was it on Saturday? It was Saturday. on Saturday. Yes. Um, and he, did you watch, did you listen to it or watch it? No, I didn't. I did read the transcript, but I did not watch it. Okay. It was, you know, it was really, I liked it. Um, and one thing he says in it 
is uh, this is a quote from his speech. With all the challenging challenges this country faces right now, nobody can tell you no, you're too young to understand, or this is how it's always been done. Because with so much uncertainty, with everything suddenly up for grabs, this is your generation's world to shape. Now, obviously, it's a graduation speech. We've heard things like that in graduation speeches in the past. However, I really do think it's true in that we have kind of an opportunity for um, a pretty big reshaping if we manage to get this fool and his company of sycophantic cheerleaders and grifters and charlatans out of power. Um, so are, are we all we're on the same page here? We're on we're, the same page. We wouldn't okay. be doing this podcast if we didn't believe that big change was possible. Absolutely. We believe big change is possible on this podcast. Um, so before we go into that, was, okay, see, that was a Lucas Schaefer windup. It was all <laughs> vaguely related. It wasn't tightly, tightly related. There were some filler words. Okay, moving on. Um so before we go into what we'd actually like to see happen, and we want to hear from you, our listeners, what you'd like to see happen, um, this one's going to be a little more of a, you know, think big with some specific calls to action at, at the end, but less related to a specific policy right right this second today. Um, I did want to point people's attention to a story in the LA Times by Mark Z. Barabak. Um the coronavirus will change America in big ways, history says so. And basically what he's pointing out here is that in times of great crisis in the past, uh, there has been sweeping change as a result. Um, one example that he gives is uh, Social Security, which had been for about, uh, I think, 20 years prior to the Great Depression, there'd been a push to institute some form of Social Security. I'm not sure it was originally called that. Um, and it kept running into all of this opposition. And then the Great Depression happens. And, you know, boom, as a result, we've got the New Deal, we've got um, all of these social programs that come out of that, that really, I think we can agree the New Deal was, you know, big structural change to America. Um and, you know, he points out more recently, um, even something like 9-11 completely changed, you know, how we go through airports, how we, you know, all of these sort of, um, in addition to, like, going to war with the wrong country. And, I mean, there are bad, huge things that can happen, too. Um, so, you know, this is, there's some historical precedent for thinking that this, um could lead to some really major shifts, yes? Um, so I think we're going to take just a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about those big changes we'd like to see, both abstract and on the concrete policy level. Oh my God, so when I first said, let's maybe talk about this, I'm curious, what was the first thing that came to mind as just out of this crisis, I would like to see blank? I wrote them down in the order that they came to me. And I don't think that you had updated the Google Sheet when I did this. And it surprised me when I looked at the Google Sheet. And I am I think you have exactly the same things written down that I do in the exact same order. I'm not kidding. So the first, I know, the first thing that I had written down, these are my words, a government that will govern. A government that will do its job of supporting its citizens, keeping its citizens safe and well. Um, you know, the I think one of the, the big battle cries supporting Trump from the business community was finally someone who will run the government like a business. Mm -hmm. Except the government is not a business. The government is a government. Oh, God. 
the government is not a business. It's the not. government is not a business. Um yeah, right. So having people who are actually interested in governing doing the governing um you know i think both that that article i just mentioned there was also a marliason piece on npr recently that was talking about both the ways people on the left and the right may advocate for structural change and what both of those articles seem to say uh is the federal government may be playing a bigger role in our lives because of this. I did think it was also interesting. I'm I don't this is not a person I like or follow. Um and this may have had nothing to do with it whatsoever. But remember like last week Justin Amash was going to run for president as a libertarian. I do remember reading that okay. very, very faintly, yes. And then within a few days he was like, No, I'm not gonna do that. Yes. Which I think's great because it seemed like another great way to help Donald Trump. But I I was curious. I mean, I didn't hear him say anything about this, but I cannot think of a worse time for a libertarian to run for president than after this complete cluster of a crisis where we're seeing <laughs> if you're only thinking about yourself and I don't want to wear a mask and I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that, uh, you know, we can't really have a functioning society. Right. So I did wonder if any of his decision had to do with the fact that that message just doesn't seem very resonant to me at this time. Okay, so we've got the role of government generally and not having people who are uninterested in governing, governing. I will um, mention, Antoinette, I have not read the fifth. Oh, God. What risk? is this? The fifth risk. Thank you. You're welcome. I was about to say something else. Um, I have not read the fifth risk by Michael Lewis, but I did read an excerpt uh, in it from The Guardian. Have you read it? I haven't. I've read a couple of his other books, but I've not read that one yet. I, I have as well. He's, you know, he's an entertaining writer and and a really informative uh, writer. I like his his work. But he has this book that came out a couple of years ago called The Fifth Risk that is about um, a few of the departments in the Trump administration and how. Did you read the Guardian article? Yes, the transition team. Oh, my God. So it was basically all about how Chris Christie was supposed to run the presidential transition for Donald Trump, and Donald Trump didn't even want to have a transition, thought that was a total waste of time, because all of these people hate nothing more than anyone who has any idea what they're actually talking about. Um, so, you know, there's been this turn away um from certainly on the right side of the aisle from expertise right we i mean the republicans are actively vilifying doctors mm -hmm. scientists mm -hmm. anyone who might have a clue what they're saying i'm i'm making the space impure unpure i'm saying the name 20 21 congressman chip roy my the bane of Lucas Schaefer's existence, because I cannot believe we pay this man's salary. He, in addition to his great hatred of people who know what they're talking about, had a great tweet a while ago where he said he didn't think, not only did he think law school shouldn't be three years, way too long, and he's a, he's a lawyer, allegedly, although... I have I have questions, um, but he just thought there was kind of nothing to it. So why are we even, you know, if you want to be a lawyer, you should just be a lawyer. Um, and I do wonder if we can use this crisis as a wake up call to stop this vilification of experts. And it's especially weird you know, the Michael Lewis piece points this out, but public servants who, I'm not talking about the elected officials, but I'm talking about the bureaucrats, uh, which is, you know, that word has a negative connotation, I guess, a little bit. But I mean, the people in the federal bureaucracy who are making 
making the country. Doesn't Michael Lewis use public servants and civil servants kind of like? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't civil think he servants. uses the word bureaucracy, but um, yes, the 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 civil servants, the the people who go into public service. Mm-hmm. What's odd about the vilification of that that set of experts is, it's not as if they make a lot of money. I mean, there there's there's no reason. The kind of conspiracy mongering around experts makes especially little sense because it's not like there's some malicious reason to go into many of these professions, right? Right. Um, so it just doesn't. It's it's intellectually lazy. Um, and we're moving on. What else? What else do we have in terms of big structural change? The next one, it's big and it's broad, and mm-hmm. that is just a social safety net mm. that doesn't have any holes in it for people to fall through because everybody's falling through. My first big sub um, bullet under that is healthcare for all. Mm-hmm. I have education on there. Um, I just have support uh, for families. I mean, there's just... This this pandemic has exposed so much. Yeah. And and yeah, yeah we, we have this chance, like you said, we have this chance to reimagine and to demand better because we deserve better. Yeah, it's it's strange. I think if we had um a more rational view of government, I mean there there was such a push kind of after Reagan with Bill Clinton, et cetera, to say, oh, we're not for big government. Um, And the thing is, one, you know, government is just us. It's just the people of the country. That's that's what it's meant to be. So this vilification of government um, doesn't really make that much sense to me. But um, in addition, like, perhaps if we had a a healthier view of what the government could do for us as a society, we could have had a response to this crisis where if we'd somehow, if we'd been as unprepared as we are, and I have to say, I don't think we would have been with other leadership, but fine, let's pretend in some alternate universe that we got to the place that Donald Trump got us to with other leadership the fact that the government wasn't saying we're going to hire you out of work people to make masks to make ppe to do the jobs that sick people can't do i mean the fact that there wasn't a kind of new deal like response to this not after but during i think speaks to the fact that right now we have people governing us who don't believe in government and don't like government and also it's just that the i think we need to reframe again going back to reframing you know the people are the government right it's a representative democracy so there's nothing wrong with the government carrying out the people's wishes which by the way right now are all polling indicates is not being carried out right so um okay so we've got the role of government we've got healthcare and a social safety net. We've got a return to trust in experts. You had mentioned education. Yes. I would I would hope I would hope after all of this homeschooling that is going on. I d- I say it as if I have kids. I don't have kids, but I was a teacher and I work with with students now. Um maybe a little more respect and pay for our public educators right yes for our teachers we have this predominant view that every other entity is worth bailing out every industry every for-profit but there's no discussion of why it should ever be okay to fully fund public education in the yes. United States, when we talk about the, you know, the theme of this episode, broadening our political imagination, mm-hmm. why is our political imagination so very limited when mm-hmm. it comes to educational opportunities for yes. our people? Yes, I completely and totally agree. Um, 
A final one I wanted to hit on is, I think, and we've talked about this before, you know, that we are in a... The the white supremacy problem in America is... I, it hasn't been laid bare by this pandemic. We were quite aware of it before, but it's just one more... Or some, you know, some, some people were, at least, but... You know, it's just, this is once again just emphasizing in a number of the stories we've talked about, including the hairdresser, whose name I truly will not say for the purposes of keeping this a pure space. But, um, you know, the, uh, uh, where do we even start with with race? But um, Something more than a national conversation is needed, which I think is a good segue into how do we start thinking about actually enacting these changes. And for our purposes here, I think what can sometimes happen when you're talking about broadening your political imagination is I think it's easy to get a little bogged down in the weeds because, you know, you and I can agree social safety net, but then it's like, well, does it mean Medicare for all? And well, it can't be this because this might happen. And other this this demographic. I I think a lot of this has to do with this um, really harmful thing that has happened, where we've all become pundits and none of us are just citizens. So nothing can be said without. But how will this group react? And what will Fox News say? And da 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 da. So we're going to steer away from that in the interest of of reframing this a little bit today, um, and keep it pretty broad because I want people thinking big, 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 right? Um, not as pundits, right, who are concerned with what they perceive as being possible, but as citizens who can create things that pundits believe are impossible. So the question before us then is how do we create this change? Ooh, Antoinette. First reaction. First reaction. It's it's big. That's a big question. The answer is going to be big too. It's going to be big. It's going to be big. I so I want to talk about a couple things. One is a 2018 story from the New Republic by Kevin Baker called Nothing in All Creation is Hidden, Why America Needs Truth and Reconciliation After Trump. Did you read this piece, Antoinette? I didn't. And I thought that I had read all the pieces for today. I don't remember. I, oh my god, I said that in such an accuse. I said that in a very accusatory. <laughs> I didn't way. feel accused though, so it's okay. It's a long piece, mm-hmm. um, and it's a few years old, and it's from before coronavirus, which makes complete sense given that Trump had many enormous screw ups and catastrophes before this point. But I think it really is. Um, useful in light of coronavirus. Basically, what this author is arguing, and this is not a, a writer I'm I'm familiar with before before this, but um, he is making the case that there needs to be after Trump is out of office some sort of truth and reconciliation commission, possibly through congressional hearings. But, you know, he kind of goes into. We don't need to get into all the details. Um, but so that we can really all have have a national understanding of what has gone on here. Because if we don't understand how we got to this place, it's going to be difficult to get out of it. And it's a, it's a well-argued piece. I almost wanted it to be bigger. The way I found this piece was I was wondering if arguments had been made that similar to South Africa after apartheid, right? I was wondering if there'd been any movement to have a truth and reconciliation commission specifically about race in America. Ah. 
that's how I that's how I found this article because I was thinking when I was thinking about big things I'd like to see dismantling seems, white supremacy. Right. It seemed like well maybe that would be a way to start with that. Um and this is what came up that was about the Trump administration, but I do think a big part of this is going to have to be we always hear about breaking the fever of republicans the fever must be broken and like the fever is never broken so i don't have that much hope for fever breaking but i do think we need to have some national consensus about something about anything i mean it feels like there's just no narrative that binds the country together in agreement and obviously every not everyone is always going to agree but i do think some true attempts and frankly i think what might have to happen for anything like that to occur would be for such a wipeout of the republican party in 2020 that i mean and this gets us kind of into point two which we'll get to in a second um but i don't know what do you think is there I wanted I wanted to reference one of the stories that you posted, but is that also part of the part two that we're going to talk about no, in just a minute? Because I'll wait. I don't I don't even know what part two is. I just talk. I just talk. <laughs> the um the narrative that binds us, I I don't know that I feel like we're going to get there because if this pandemic doesn't give everyone the truth in a blinding light in front of them, I I can't help them. So it's I, I am fully expecting that there will be people who cannot be helped to see the truth. There was an article that you had listed, and I don't remember exactly which one it was now, but it referenced that right now there are Republican folks who are using the pandemic to point out the ills of globalization and the fact that right. we were dependent on a global supply chain to make things like masks and PPE and that those uh, parts of the supply chain were were unavailable to us to protect our own people is a failing of um, globalization. And that's that's, I guess, one way to look at it while people are dying around you. Um, there are many other ways to look at it that would probably get us mm -hmm. on the pulse of what's really happening and how to solve our, our problems. Yeah. And, and just to be clear, I mean, I don't think we're ever going to be in a situation where everyone in America or even the vast majority of Americans agree about anything. But we've just gotten so far away from leaders, journalists, writers, kind of I don't, you know, I don't even know what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say exactly, but we, we've just gotten so far from just having truth be called truth that I do think, I, I think the more likely scenario is what's going to happen after Trump is what always happens after corrupt leaders in America, which is we're moving on. We're looking forward. We're not looking back. And I, I, I think I, I just think we can't do it. I don't think we can keep doing it. Uh, you know, we shouldn't have done it after Iraq and Katrina. And the, the thing that I like about the commission that you're talking about is the idea of having some sort of a historical record to pass on. Yes. A determination that goes down in the history books. There is yes. something valuable in that, I think. Thank you. I think that's all I was. I think that's basically what I was trying to say. And also just not I, I do think part of moving forward is not letting people off the hook. Oh, my I gosh. Mean, the, you know, the number of I, I just that would be a fear I have with Biden. And one reason I think Elizabeth Warren would actually be great um, is I, I just I don't think we can be in the oh well, mistakes were made. Everyone tried their hardest. We're <laughs> yes. moving on. Yes, that lovely passive voice. Nobody was really responsible for these things that we just won't talk about. Exactly. Okay, so the first thing then is, get, you know, getting at the truth, getting that historical record. I think that's a way to move us on a positive path forward, though saying it, it sounds kind of naive, but I, I think it's actually true. Um the other 
thing about big change, right, is there, no change happens when you're out of power. <laughs> and there are, of course, plenty of Democrats who don't want big structural change, but those people can be pushed towards it, whereas Republicans are, you know, there's no point in, you know, communicating with them about about those things. Um which gets to part two, which is if we want big structural change, we have to take power back. That's right. And I think what we historically have done on our side of the the aisle is we're thinking big, right? We want big things. So we focus on the big prize, the presidency, right? And I think what we've found is that Republicans have been very good at thinking big in terms of their vision, but working really small and taking state houses and and playing taking, the long game and playing the long game, right? So I think if we're we're interested in these big structural changes, it's not just about you know can we get Ber- can can it be Bernie or Elizabeth Warren as the nominee? It's also about what we're doing at the local level. Um, so I did want to call attention to three organizations that I think people might be interested in. Four organizations. Four organizations. And then we'll do um, a call to action after that. D- did you have something before that? Maybe five. Maybe maybe seven. <laughs> maybe seven. I might be starting an organization by the end of this. Um, just what we need. Another... Another organization. Um, okay, so here we go. Um, and you may have heard of these. You may not have heard of these. This is not like I'm not giving you the most obscure things in the world, but I think these are things worth paying attention to. So first of all, we've said it before. If you're in Austin, right, and you want to be involved at the local level, a good place to start may be Indivisible Austin. IndivisibleAustin.com slash world is there just for oh, this world listeners made just for you. Um, and they're, um, you know, doing all sorts of stuff every day to resist the Trump agenda, as um, is said, both in terms of meeting with uh, Congress people uh, and then also working to elect new Congress people at the local level. Um, so that is a great place to start out. Second thing I wanted to point out is that Swing Left, remember Swing Left from 2018? I remember Swing Left, such a great organization. Okay, so their whole thing was taking, flipping, you know, swing, swing districts, districts, right? right. Um, and one thing that I was interested to see they're doing this year is they have this super state strategy where they're focusing on a handful of states um, at both the local and the or at both the yeah at both the state and federal level. And one of their super states, Antoinette, did you know this? It's Texas. It is Texas. So they have three goals to flip the U.S. Senate seat currently held by John Cornyn to compete for the state's 38 electoral college votes, and then to break unified GOP control of the state government by flipping the Texas State House. They have uh, volunteer opportunities for people in Texas, and they also have volunteer opportunities for people not in Texas who want to flip Texas. Um, so that's swingleft.org. We will put up um, the Texas link there. And as they point out, Nine seats are needed to flip the state house in Texas. There were nine seats in the 2018 election that Republicans won, that Beto O'Rourke also won. So if we could flip all of those blue, that would be some big change. As we've talked about before, this also affects gerrymandering, right? It affects how the districts are drawn. So you start to see how if you want the Green New Deal— if you want Medicare for all, if you want, you know, any chance at creating any institution or any framework by which we hold the Trump administration accountable and figure out everything that went wrong so we can avoid it in the future, we need to win at the local level. 
Um, Flip the Texas House, we've talked about before, um, but we'll put up their information as well, um, working to get those nine seats. There are 17 Texas State House Republicans who won their seats by less than 10 votes. Um, they're working on that. I would also just say related to this, we're at a point in the election, right, where there are all of these wonderful organizations like Flip Flip the Texas House, like Swing Left, that are working to do this, um, to flip to flip these seats. But I would also say if you're in Texas, I would highly encourage you go to these websites, see what the seats are. If you go to Flip the Texas House, you can see what those 17 seats are, and then volunteer directly for a campaign, especially if it's your district, right? Um, because those places need we know they need donations in this time. They're not getting a lot of a lot of donations, I think, because of coronavirus. Um, well, I shouldn't say they're not, but I'm, this is speculation, right? They're working hard for their money. I'll they're say working that. hard for their money. Right? For folks who are outside of Texas, there's one that I, I realized I slipped into the sheet we didn't talk about before oh, yes. our, in our prep time. Sister District oh, is yes. an organization based out of California. And they are unique in that they only focus on flipping state legislatures. So they were very active in 2018 in, I believe, four or five states. And in 2020, they added Texas to their role. So mm. much of their work is around uh, fundraising as opposed to um, the kinds of electoral activities on the ground, right. as we used to call them, right? Um, so they are another great resource, particularly if you live not in Texas in a blue state. I would also just say that in terms of all of us doing our part, um, obviously all of the phone banking, all of the canvassing, if that is at some point doable again, um, the, do the donations, all of that is really important. But there's also just, it's, it's important people do some research for themselves about what is actually going on in your district. And I'll give you an example my district in Austin, in terms of the state legislature, right? We have a Democratic uh, state senator, state senator. We have a Democratic representative to the House. So, from that point of view, at the state level, I'm thinking I'm in pretty good shape, right? However, however, if you look at who has historically represented me on the State Board of Education, a very powerful institution in Austin. We have a gerrymandered district there, and it is super in play this year. It's super in play. There's a strong Democratic candidate, et cetera, et cetera. So when I say you need to do some outside research, potentially, by all means, volunteer for that sister district that is a swing seat that you don't live in if you don't live in one, but also make sure you actually don't live in one. <laughs> that Right. I mean, make sure you understand what's happening in your actual local districts. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I hadn't realized for years we had a very far right person on the school board that corresponded to my address. And obviously I'd always voted against them, but I hadn't. I just hadn't been that aware. I guess of the. It, I guess of the importance of the the school board. I don't know. I don't know. Um, last thing I wanted to point out: runforsomething.net. Um, this is an organization that helps people run for office, and it's specifically for progressive millennials, progressive Gen Z candidates who have either never run before, or I think if you have run one time before, um, you can potentially work with them. And they help with all different aspects of um, the the process. Um, but you know, if you go to their website, what did they say? Throw everything you know about, about politics out the window. You're qualified to run for local office. We're here to help. So when we're talking about big change, that could start with a reevaluation of what you're doing with your life. 
Mm, so <laughs> exciting. I love Interesting. that. Interesting. Yes. Okay. So that but ooh, that was that was good info. I like that. That was great info, great connections. Fantastic. Good oh stuff. my god. We are okay. So we're gonna we're gonna take a little break and then we're gonna do our call to action. You know what has been asked of me, Antoinette, and I just wanted to mention it before our call to action? What, what, two people have asked me this. Why do you take the break when you have no, – it's not like we have advertisers. Why do you take the break? And it's – I'm going. To, can I tell people? I'm going to tell them. Yes, yes. It's because we are one-take people. We do one take. We put it up. And that it goes up. That's why sometimes I say something unintelligible. It remains in the podcast because we just, we, we you know, we're, we don't. It's a volunteer the, DIY operation. This is a, this is a DIY it all. operation. Yeah. So, so sometimes, so that's our chance, the little break to like take a breath to think, oh, that thing I said was really dumb, but there's nothing I can now do about it. Um. Oh, well. Okay. So. Two calls to action today. I'm I'm going to go backwards from how we have it listed. So the first thing is find a candidate in a swing district to support. Or potentially be that – it's a little late to be that candidate for 2020. You might be that candidate in, in 2022. Um, but check out those organizations, Indivisible Austin – Swing left, run for something, flip the Texas House, sister district. Um, get involved at the local level today. If you have a little change to send to a campaign campaign's way, my suggestion personally would be give it directly to the campaign. So all of these organizations um, are fantastic for volunteer opportunities i think if you're just going to write that check in texas find the campaign they can use that money um and it's i think it's probably going to go further i hopefully maybe it's bad to say that i don't want to these Why organizations would it be bad to say that well because these organizations are great i don't want to say don't give money to these organizations Here, here's the thing actually this is what i want to say these organizations we need long term right because even when you, each individual campaign is over. Exactly. Because if you give to a candidate, that's great. But if that candidate loses, then that's that. And if the candidate wins, then they're in office. I, I, you know, for big structural change, you do need these organizations, which is why I would never say don't give money to them. My only thought is four or five months before the election, right? Mm hmm. If you can give directly to a candidate, is this does that sound controversial or that sounds mm, no, it doesn't sound controversial. Okay, but maybe give to both. Give to everyone with all that spare money we all have with thirty million unemployed. Well, I'll give a um, quick example. There, there have been I, I don't they're not technically called coalitions, I guess, but groups of candidates who are kind of like minded and they are all yeah. supporting the same sort of legislation and they will band together and fundraise together. Yes. So I have given to seven Texas state house candidates together and then they divvy up that one lump sum. And what how have you done them. that through one of these organizations? Um I do not remember how I got the link. Um, I feel like I did it once early this year or late last year and a couple times right. in 2019. Um, but yes, the money goes very far. The money is appreciated. The state candidates in particular, yes. they make the most out of every single donation. And it's easy. You can do it all through Act Blue online. Yes. And that's really what I'm when I'm when I'm saying, hey, consider give giving directly to the campaigns as opposed to one of these organizations i'm particularly talking about at the state level i think federally federal candidates obviously need a lot of money um and now is a difficult time to fundraise but i don't think it's my guess is it's not quite as dire just in that we're hearing about some of these candidates the state candidates you, you know we don't know their names unless it's our actual district a right. lot of the time right Ooh, big wind up, a lot of caveats, a <laughs> lot of warnings, whatever. 
Okay, second thing is, oh my god, I wrote this down. I thought this was a fun idea. Make a political dream board. I loved that idea. I thought about Pinterest and my love affair with Pinterest that needs to be renewed. I could start a Pinterest board. You could. I mean, much like my new use of the word freaking, (laughs) it is not something I've ever done. In fact, after I wrote it, I thought, I'm not even sure if I'm using dream board correctly. But what I meant by that was start thinking about what are these changes you'd like to see. Don't limit yourself just to policy proposals you've already heard about. um, And actually write them down and start looking for candidates who you think might be responsive to those ideas. Dream Um, board, vision board is another name for that. Vision board, dream board. Mm -hmm. You know, if it was me, I'm just writing it on a legal pad. Mm -hmm. But I'm all for the, I love a collage, love any of that stuff. Great idea. Great idea. All right. So, that's the show. Lucas, that was awesome. Thank you so much for crafting that journey. Oh, my God. It was a journey. It was, (laughs) it was a journey. But why go from A to B if you can stop at C and D along the, along the road? Um, you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, oh, this world pod. You can find us on the old email machine at oh, this world pod at gmail.com. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotter, Stitchify, ooh, Stitchify. Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast. Um, wherever you listen, subscribe. Consider rating us if it's a good rating. And um, we'll see you for our weekend grab bag <laughs> <laughs> on Friday. Oh, and maybe a small. And maybe a small. And maybe a small tomorrow. All right. We'll see. I, I need to take a nap. Um, <laughs> see you on Friday. Thanks, Lucas. Bye, everybody. Bye.